truly a part of God above. Does anyone care to summarize what we learned last week? Anyone? I taught some philosophy. And that was your clue to like mentally tune out. No? no. Oh, okay. Just saying it's hard to explain a whole lesson of philosophy. Right. And we talked about what are essential qualities of God, but then what the essential qualities of our soul. Right. And we got into lofty debates. And we got into lofty debates. Okay. All right. Now, so the the analogy that was used, there were two analogies that were used. One was breathing, which I'm not going to recap, and the other was the way a child comes from the brain of the father, which we spent two days on, right? Okay. In a nutshell, what that what that means is that the essence of the child, and right, the word essence is being contrasted against each other fancy philosophical word. What? Existence. No, essence is in Hebrew. Essence versus existence. The essence of the, the, essence of the child comes from which parent? And the existence comes from the mother. Okay. So the idea being is that the essence of the godly soul means what defines it as what it is, is really a continuation of what defines God as God. Okay, that's, that was the analogy of just like the child comes from the brain of the father. Okay, today, tomorrow, Wednesday, possibly next week, we'll make last week look easy. But we're not going to shy away from the difficulties. We're going to just dive in. Okay. However, I think the best way to do this is to read a little bit of text. Okay. And then, and then get into it. So we are, let's just go back to the beginning of the paragraph. So allegorically speaking. Okay. Um, you'll notice that there's a note in smaller print in the middle of that paragraph. We're going to be skipping the note for now and coming back to it later. Okay. So allegorically speaking, it's on page five or page six, or for all I know, page 17, depending on which book you have. So allegorically speaking, have the souls of Jews risen in the divine thought, as is written, my firstborn son is Israel, and ye are children unto the Lord your God. That is to say, just as a child is derived from his father's brain, so to use the anthropomorphism, the soul of each Israelite is derived from God, blessed be his thought and wisdom. Okay. And in what sense do we mean thought? We mean thought as it is the way you access your underlying essence. Right? So we're not talking about thinking in the normal sense but the kind of thought that touches on your core humanity. That's the place that the godly soul, that, that's the place um, in the father where his, where his essence resides, where the child is derived from. And that's, the, so to speak, the analogy to it's God's sense of his own essence, so to speak, that is the source of what makes the godly soul godly. That was what we did before. For he is wise, but not through knowable wisdom, because he and his wisdom are one. And as Maimonides says, skip the note, that he is the knowledge and the knower. And this is not within the power of any man to comprehend clearly. As is written, canst thou search by searching find God? And is also written, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. So what did we just read? We don't, we can't possibly 
We can't possibly know. Okay, so it's class dismissed. So let's break down this, this, this second half of this paragraph slowly. Okay. So it says that we're derived from God or God's thought and wisdom. Which one? Look at the text. The godly soul is derived from God or from God's thought and wisdom? God and thought and wisdom. Which is a problem. Why is that a problem? We were because we start off by saying we're a piece of God Himself. So are we part of His Himself or part of His wisdom? We're going to bracket for right now that we don't know the difference between Him and His wisdom. But that just purely just in the wording that seems to be a problem. If we're derived from God, that's one idea. If we're derived from His wisdom, that's another idea. Okay. Moreover, He already gave us the analogy of the child being derived from the father. Correct. Right. The, that was earlier in the paragraph. So in the analogy of a human being, is the child derived from the father or from the thought slash brain of the father? The brain of the father, right? So in the, in the, in the analogy, we do make a distinction between the father and his brain. And seemingly you can make that same distinction when it comes to God, between God and his mind or God and his thought. Yeah. I, well, so I, that's a good question, but I'm not going to answer it right now. The reason why I'm not going to answer it is because the way the Alter Rebbe is using brain is in a different sense than when the way you are using brain. You are thinking of the brain as a machine or some sort of a device, and he means it um, in a different sense. So, no, he's not using it symbolically. He just has a different metaphysics thing than you do, um, which we're going to get into. We will. I'm not avoiding the question. I'm just not answering it now. Then he goes on to say that this is not a problem before he is wise, but not through noble wisdom. Okay, what makes his wisdom different than our wisdom? Because he and his wisdom are one, as opposed to us. With a human being. They're separate. And what's this... To explain this, he quotes the Rambam and Maris, that he is the knowledge and he is the knower. And then in case you're like, I don't understand this, he says, that's okay, most people don't understand that because you can't really understand that. And then quote some verses to support the idea. Okay. So before we explain, let's make sure we know what we, what, what we need to explain. The ultimate goal of this entire chapter two so far is to explain how the godly soul of a Jew is a part of God, that it's... Its being is derived from God's being. The analogy that he uses is the way that the essence of the son is derived from the essence of the father, or the essence of a child. The child doesn't matter. The problem is that in the human analogy, the essence of the child is derived from the father or the father's brain. Which one? The father's brain. So even though I'm not explaining what the difference between those two things are, there is a difference. And therefore, one could think, if that's the analogy, that the godly soul is not derived from God, but from God's wisdom slash brain slash thought, all going into that same category. And so how does the Alter Rebbe deal with this problem? By saying God, unlike people, is one with his wisdom. He and his wisdom are one. He and his knowledge are one. He and his mind are one. 
unlike a person who is not one with their own wisdom, one with their own mind. So if you are drawn from the mind or the brain of your father, there still is some level of disconnect between you and your father, whereas with your godly soul and God, that disconnect isn't there because he and his brain or he and his wisdom are one. Now, I'm using the words thought, wisdom, brain, mind all interchangeably right now because I want to speak about the idea at its core, at its root, and not get into the nuances. There are, if you analyze this much more thoroughly, different aspects, wisdom referring to a different aspect than brain than a different aspect than mind, but we're going to put it all together. Okay. Can I just ask, if, so if we're understanding that Hashem is, like if we're trying to understand Hashem, how are we able to understand that He can have two, like He has those that are separate to us, but they're together on, with Him. Right. But, well, that's what we're going to have class on today. Okay. For us, it's separate. Like for us, like our wisdom and our being is separate. Yet Hashem's together. But like, we, how are we supposed to understand that? Yeah, because we're in the spot. Like we understand what we see. Well, the Ram says you can't fully understand it. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't. I. I, I I don't want to mix the analogy with what it's supposed to be teaching us about. So we're going to just do us in one column and then separate column we'll deal with God. Okay. Now, let's take a step out of the time because the Alter Rebbe um, is writing within a context as if a person's familiar with Jewish theology, but unfortunately not everyone's familiar with Jewish theology. So we're going to take a step. Okay. One of the things that is discussed um, and debated, and the Rambam, speak, the Rambam, who is basically the ultimate halachic authority on these matters, um, is how do how are we to understand the different attributes of God? Okay? And the basic problem is like this: there are certain attributes which we would not be comfortable saying God is lacking. What are some of the attributes that we'd be uncomfortable saying God is lacking? Uncomfortable not emotionally, but religiously, philosophically, would it make sense to say God is lacking? What are some things that doesn't make sense for God to be lacking? What kind of attribute? Well, I'll, I'll throw out one. Would you say it makes sense to say that God is lacking in will? Now, what kind of beings lack in will? Rocks, right? Inanimate beings, right? Or beings that are being sentient beings that are that are very weak or psychologically damaged right in other words the overall that seems to be a lowly state of being to be lacking in will right so it wouldn't make a lot of sense to describe god who is the ultimate cause and source and the highest level of being to be lacking in will what about wisdom also not okay um what about long hair could i be lacking long hair would that be okay well, that's a yeah. physical... Right, but, but before we get to that, it's a physical, right? Does, does, in other words, there are certain things that, at least at, at, at first glance, seem to be, be it's kind of inherent virtues, that, that having them as part of your being is just an automatically, inherently a positive thing. So you can rank higher and lower states of being. Wisdom, will, those put you higher, lacking them put you lower, Right? The length of your hair does not in principle make you give you a higher state of being or a lower state of being, right? Circumstantially, it might be better or worse, right? 
Like if you're King David's son, Avshalom having long hair was a bit of a problem because it got caught in the thorns and then your donkey ran out from underneath you and then you got killed. So it would have been better to have short hair in that case. Right. Yeah. Also shouldn't rebel against your father, especially when he's God's uh, anointed leader of the Jewish people. But, you know. Side point. Yeah. Okay, so beauty actually goes in the category like wisdom. But, as, but we have to abstract it, right? Have you ever heard a mathematician say that, that math is beautiful? Right. So clearly we have a sense of beauty, which is an abstraction. Beauty can be instantiated physically, right? But beauty is actually something that's more transcendent, okay? Um, fine. So, but then we have another principle, which is that God is one. That God is not made up of any parts, any pieces, any aspects, or any levels. So this creates a problem. What is the relationship between God and his will or God and his wisdom or God and his beauty or God and his life, God and his compassion, whatever the case might be? Relative. What? Relative. It means relative. It so we're going to start with physical things to make this a little bit simpler. Okay. Um, This is a yarmulke. Yeah? Is this one thing or many things? That's not what I... I don't want to know how you look. And I want to know, is it one thing or is it many things? It's one thing. Okay. The answer to this question is that that is a stupid question. Because the question presupposes that being one thing automatically means not being many things. Okay. But what does it mean to be one thing? It means the different parts of you all form a whole. That's what it means to be one thing. So being one thing means being made up of different parts. So everything that's just one thing is also many things. There's nothing that's, there's nothing that's not many things. Any example you can think of a single thing is really just many different things as a, at, coming together as a whole. Okay, so let's use the yarmulke's example. There's the obvious stuff, like there's four different um, sections here sewn together, right? There's the fact that there's this material and there's that material, right? This is the easy stuff, right? So I have eight different pieces of material sewn together to make the yarmulke, fine. Okay. That's the easy stuff. What, if, what are some other parts that make up the yarmulke? The tag. What? The tag. The tag, fine, let's record the tag. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so actually we could say this. There's the yarmulke, right? There's the yarmulke itself, and then there's the fact that it has a color, right? In fact, every physical thing has color, right? Can you think of a physical thing that doesn't have color? What color would you say a window has? It's transparent. And the reason why I say that's a color is the number three. What is the color of the number three? That does not have a color. A window, in other words, a window has a spot in its being for the property of color. It happens to be that its color is, you can see through me to the colors behind me. So we have to, we have to, we have to broaden our notion of color. Is that a color though? Or it, is it, that a property of the material? So that's what I'm getting at, is that, what is color? Color is, a, is how the thing, is an aspect of appearance, right? Yeah. So, oh, so, 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 Something with it transparent, it appears 
In what way does it appear? That there's no color. It appears, it, 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 it allows the appearance of other things through it, right? But that, that issue of color still exists. So we think of color as a, as a, as a, um, a facet of being, right? Transparency goes on that same slot. In other words, something is either blue, think about it, something's either blue or green or red or white or transparent. Now, I know that we don't normally think of it as color, right? Because we normally think of things as color that you can see, right? But the reason why I want you to think of transparency as color, because then if you think of something like, say, the number three or freedom, are they transparent? No. No, they don't have color, right? So we want to differentiate between it doesn't have a property of color or it has a property of color, but it's strange that its property of color is like empty, okay? Or to use a different example, how much money does Bill Gates have in his bank account? How much money do you have in your bank account? Not as much. <laughs> do some people have no money in their bank account? Okay, how much money does the yarmulke have in its bank account? But you see, now already, account. we don't want to say nothing because that's misleading, right? Yamakas can't have bank accounts, right? It's not a property of its being, right? So we want to differentiate between, and this is what's called in mathematics, zero versus the empty set. It has the property, it's just, it doesn't have any tangible manifestation of the property. So transparency for color, no money in your bank account for money. Versus just that property is not relevant there at all. Color for numbers or bank accounts for inanimate objects. Okay. So it has color. It has, right? Now, let's think of it. Does it have a location? Yeah. Does it actually, it actually, and it also has, it also has dimension. It has a top and a bottom, right? Shape. Right, shape. Is that purpose? Yes. Does its purpose only intelligible within this context? Like, if we took this and dropped it out of an airplane um, in the middle of some, you know, um, village in the Amazon, would they automatically realize that, oh, this is a yarmulke, this is a Jewish head covering? No, right? So the intelligibility of its purpose is context, right? We can start breaking this up into all sorts of different aspects of its existence. The most simple one is looking at the physical parts that it's made of. But there's physical parts, there's different properties, there's different aspects, right? We can, so you can take this, you give it to an economist, he'll start speaking about the complexities of this economic, its cost, how it's manufactured, how it bring it to a scholar of sociology, though we'll talk a bit differently, bring it to a chemist, bring it to a fashion designer, bring it to a physicist, and they will all be able to speak about it in very complex ways, breaking it down to many different aspects, right? In different arenas. Which now means, on top of the fact that each one of those different ways of looking at it is complex, the fact that it can be then viewed and related to in so many complex, which means it has a whole additional level of complexity of how all those different parts fit together. The economic reality versus the religious reality versus the social reality versus the, the fashion reality versus the physical reality of the yarmulke all interact with each other. This is a quite a complex thing, right? And every single thing, and I'm using the word single thing, every individual thing is actually just a complex system bringing about a whole. So being one thing means being many things. It's just there are two kinds of many things. There are many things that don't form a whole, and there are many things that do form a whole. That makes sense? Wait, can, there are many things that don't form a whole. Right. Like what? Are you saying many These things are two are, things. Do they form a whole? Ah, you're saying two different things. Oh, not that's... Among, well, is not the color of the yarmulke a different thing than the shape of the yarmulke? But it still creates a whole. 
That's right. So there's, you have sets of many things that form a whole and sets of many things that don't form a whole. But can you have sets of the same, can you, sets of one thing that don't form a sure. whole? Sure, you know sure, I mean? yes. So let me, if, if for, in, for instance, if I, for instance, I was using example. We have a class. A class is made of people, right? Yeah. A class is one thing, but it's made of a bunch of people, right? Now, if you have just a bunch of people, does that mean you have a class? No. No. There's some way those people are arranged and organized that makes it a class, right? So if I just have a bunch of people, then I don't say I have one thing. I say I have a bunch of, I have many things. But if I say I have a class, I say I have one thing, which is also many things. So everything is always many. It's not one thing. It is one thing. This Could you I'm, ever have a case where that this is one thing, but it's also many things? Could you have it where it's one thing, never and just one thing? That's what I want you to get. Yeah. It is think about it. Every one thing, whether it's a physical object, an abstraction, as you begin to examine what it is, you discover it's not actually one thing. It's many things in some sort of an arrangement, in some sort of relationship with each other that there are also holistically one thing. Okay. So is there really a dichotomy between one thing and many things? No, there's just a dichotomy between being one thing and not being one thing. Sometimes you have a bunch of different stuff that is not all come together as one whole thing. Sometimes you have a bunch of stuff that does. Okay? So if, if you have a bunch of, if you have a, if, if you have a, um, if you have a bunch of letters, is that one thing or many things? There's no way to tell just from knowing there's a bunch of letters, but sometimes a bunch of letters is one thing. It's a word. Now, if you have a bunch of words, is that, one, is that one thing or is it not one thing? Well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes those bunch of words are a sentence, but sometimes they're not, right? So many things could either be one thing or not be one thing, but one thing is always really made up of many things. Correct. So the minimum number of things to be one thing is three. To be one thing, everything which is one is really actually three by definition because everything that's one has this aspect, this aspect, and the thing that makes them be a whole. Right? A, B, and what unifies them and brings them together to make them a whole. Now, I mean, there could be more than that. But that's the bare minimum. Can you just repeat what you said? You said one thing is made up of many things, but many things can don't always don't don't always have to be one thing, right? You and some random person on the street are not necessarily one thing, right? But you could be, right? You could you you could you could be members of a friendship, members of a band, right? But is that one thing? It is one thing. Yeah, it's one band. It's one, one band, band or one nation or one atom. Or one thought, right? What, what are the, let's do a thought. Thought is a nice abstraction. What is a thought made of? What are the, like, let's break down the thought. And by the way, and don't start talking about brain chemistry that's not a thought. <laughs> You're a thought. Well, remember, everything has to have a minimum of how many things? One. So, mm-hmm. and a thought has to have a minimum of how many components? Three. What are the three components of a thought? What you Right, subject. A thought has to have a subject. What? No. Context. What? 
Some, okay, something predicated about the subject. A thought is something about something. No, you can think. You can think that there is a table, so that you are predicating existence upon the table or lack of existence upon the table. So when someone says, "Think of a table," well, usually what they're doing is picturing a table, which is actually different. Yeah. So what's thinking of a table? Picturing, yeah. Okay. But what would the thought be of the table that's not the picture? Right. A, a thought is something you can put in the form of a, of a sentence. Remember back in school they said a sentence has to have a subject and a predicate? That's a thought. Oh, right. Okay, but here's the thing. Some, there has to be someone predicating this predicate on the subject. That's you. That's the thinker, right? You are thinking that the table exists, right? So a thought is you putting together ex- the, the notion of existence upon the notion of table, and now there is a thought of, there is a table. You can't have less than that. Okay? Now, we could go on and on, and if we wanted to study metaphysics, we'd do this for like all, you know, the rest of our lives. I don't know if it helps you anyway. But, so, when we say something is one, right, and we're talking about reality as we understand it, all we mean to say is, we have many things that are somehow come together to form a whole. So that means they have to have minimum of the two, many th- the two things that have come together and what is it that's bringing them together and making them a whole? Yeah. I feel like my issue though is when you say a whole, that makes it seem complete. And if you have two people in a classroom, a third can come in and it's still that's a whole. Right. Like, that's right. Dude, what if well, you now, have four beetles? Is that a whole? And if one of them is missing or another guy shows up? So, so this is why metaphysicians spend the rest of their lives talking about this because not all ones are the same. Some ones are very malleable, like a mob. A mob is one thing, right? Not, anytime you just have a large number of people, it's not a mob, right? I mean, there, there's something about this dungeon that makes it into a mob, a mob, right? Now, if you add another 100 people, it's still a mob, right? And if it's a big enough size, you can take away 100 people, it's still a mob, right? And because, like, so, so what are the dynamics of a mob? And, you know, there are people who, like, spend their lives writing academic papers about what are mobs and how do they form and what makes a mob a mob, and, like, who cares? But anytime you, a word comes out of your mouth that is backed up by an actual notion of something, that means there's an element of oneness. Anything you have a word for. And if you can then deconstruct what is that? What is it conceptually? What is it physically? And not everything has every aspect of existence, right? Numbers don't have physical existence, right? And, um, you know, know, uh, uh, some things have a financial existence and some things don't, right? So whole doesn't mean that's that. It can't be changed. Not right. That's an open question. Some holes can and some holes can't, and usually it's not black and white. There's varying degrees of complexity, right? Okay. Is there a difference between like thinking about physical mixtures, like a homogeneous mixture, where you like just like can't separate once you pour it into your coffee, like you're not gonna be able to get your coffee into one separate, but like salad. Really, you can't. Like if you put it in a centrifuge, you can't separate them. Okay. <laughs> That's how they do blood tests, right? They like you centrifuges separate out the blood for different parts. But let's assume you can't do that. It's still I can differentiate because I can still differentiate. In other words, I just need some method of differentiating different parts. Whether I can physically separate them is a particular kind of part. Maybe, maybe. I'm not going to now, we're not going to now turn the rest of the time into a class on metaphysics, but I want you to understand this, that this word one is really, (laughs) the word one is just a particular form of many. 
It's many coming together to be a whole. Now, different kinds of many's come together in different kinds of ways to conform different kinds of wholes, and we can then have discussions about what are the rules and properties of different kinds of things and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now, when we say God is one, does that mean that God is made up of different parts coming together to form a whole? Sounds a little problematic. It sounds problematic, right? Unless, unless you're a member of the Catholic Church, in which case, you know, by all means. Yeah. But in Judaism, we don't like that idea, right? And so the Rambam actually says that you can't say that God is one. We just don't have a good word for this. So the Rambam says technically you would say he is one, but not with the notion of oneness. In other words, the concept of oneness that human beings operate on is really the concept of parts forming a whole. That's not what God is. But because we lack a word... For what, God, for, for, for what God is. We're going to borrow the word oneness. Remember we spoke earlier about borrowing terms? Right? This thing is holding up the table. It's called the leg of a table. Is it really a leg? No, but it's similar to your leg in some sense. So we'll, call, we'll borrow the word leg. So why do we call God one? He's not really one. Why do we call him one? It's the only word we can use. Why, why, why don't we call him, him shishkebab? <laughs> We're borrowing words. Why this word? This is the closest to what we need. Why? What? That, no, you're very good. That's what Chassidus says. Chassidus says when we use God, Chassidus says when we speak about God being one, we're actually not talking about God at all. We're talking about his relationship with creation. And, and then the word one becomes perfectly valid again. But the classical understanding of when we say Shema, Hashem is normal, means we're talking about Hashem. We're talking about God himself. And, and so the question is, why there would we borrow the term one? He's not, but then he would really be one. He's not made up of different attributes. That's the problem. But then he wouldn't really be right. one. Right, okay. So the thing is like this. Something which is one, okay, so in our... Could you say one is unique to only yeah. having... Like there isn't... Can you that, That's how Chassidus addresses this. That Chassidus says we say God is one, we're not talking about God, we're talking about his relationship with creation. And then, then the word one really is justified. Okay, so this is... One, and we're going to say not one. Notice I'm not saying many. Okay. So something which is one has two levels. There's the level where it's one. Right? And underneath the level which is one, there's a level where it's... Not one, not many. Many. Okay? So, let's use... You are one person... You have a body and a soul. Your body has different parts. Your soul has different aspects, right? This is one class, but there are many people in the class, right? See, all ones are made of many's, okay? That is one thought, but it is made up of a thinker predicating a predicate upon a subject. Blah, 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 right? Okay. Then you have things that are not one. They're just many. That would be like just randomly selecting five people out of, you know, on the street. What makes them, there aren't a thing. There's just five, you just randomly selected five people. But they become one because Oh, you... oh, so this is one of the tricks of our mind. 
is that the minute we do that, we've created yeah. a new, we've created, a, a, I, I realize that. Because our minds have to think in terms of wholes, of single entities. So we want to differentiate between ones that are just the conjuring up of our mind, like if I randomly select three people out of a crowd, the only thing that makes them one is my... You select them. Right, but there's nothing instantiated in their being that makes them one entity, as opposed to your arms. There is something about your arms themselves that they are parts of a whole person, right? Well, there, there, there is, so I, the word innate is correct. There's nothing innate, but there is something instantiated. There is something actually taking place in your being and in my being and everyone else in the class, which is your minds are all hopefully focused on the ideas being exuded by my mind. And as long as that is the case, we have a class, right? Whether you choose to see it that way or not is relevant. That is actually happening in reality. We make teams and groups. I didn't say you can't create ones and destroy ones. I didn't say everyone is built into existence from God's creation and stuff forever after, right? I mean, you came into being and, you know, people die, right? Their souls leave their bodies. Okay. So then it's just like we're, we're trying to establish where the line is between how we create ones and how Right, and then not all ones are the same. Now here's the thing. Which category is God like? Is God like one thing that's really made of many or is just many things? Is he like... Option A or option B? The answer is like neither. Okay, fine. But which one is he more like? He's like the difference between the two, right? Just one. So this is God. One minus not one. He's just now. So like, what word do I put here? I put one, but I don't. By this one of God, I don't mean the same because this one is a one that's built off of many, and this one is just. One, and we don't actually have a notion of that. Like, you can't even think about that. You know why you can't think about it? Because a thought is? Three things. Three things. You predicating something. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't even work. That's why the Zohar says no thought can think of him. That's why the Rama says you can't fully understand this. All you can kind of just do is acknowledge the limits of your own understanding. There's an element of not being many in the absolute sense, and that's what God is. Is it possible instead of us borrowing the idea of one to describe God, what's actually happening is that we borrow the idea of one, which is God, to describe something that is actually unity? That correct, correct. So, so what I'm doing is I'm working, I'm working the way the Raman works, which is to work using human experience upwards to God, mm -hmm. more rational and reflective state of affairs. But the way the mystics would say is actually the reverse, is that God actually has something which we're going to call... Um, we're we're, we're going to call um, unity. And what we call being one is some limited approximation of unity. Isn't unity inherently of many things? No. Your experiences of unity are of many things. Uh -huh. That's like if every time you ever saw Shabbos, they served challenge, you would assume Shabbos depends on challenge. If every time your you if every time unity is manifest over many things, then you begin to get a warped notion of unity. Wait, etymologically, doesn't it, doesn't it make more sense to say that unity as a word means of many things than But we're talking Hebrew, and the question is Hebrew ultimately came from God first. So. But I don't want to... 
that's beside the point. Let's just make it really simple. Okay? So when we say God is one, we don't mean the same thing when we say that anything else is one. Okay? So the Rambam therefore says, God is one, but not with the concept that we know as one. So why I use the word? Well, because it's the best to, to, to indicate the negation of the many. We are not using the term one with God in its normal usage. We just, by using one, we mean not many. Okay, so now if God is one in the sense of not being many things or made of any parts, so does God have wisdom? That's not what I asked you. I asked you if he does have wisdom. We have a problem now. Because if you say yes, then how many parts would there be to God? There would be three. There would be God, his wisdom, and what's holding him and his wisdom together. But he's infinite and unlimited. Eh, Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) That's not an explanation for anything. (laughs) Thank you. It's not not an an explanation for anything. anything. It might be true, but... it's not an explanation. Like that, 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 like in the, the, the premise of a class that we're trying to understand, throwing out God is infinite and, and rules don't apply, so who says anything? I mean, it might be true, but it doesn't help anyone understand anything. Yes. So. I mean, no, that's the thing. It doesn't help you understand it, but it's like, it is still there. That, so what you're making is an argument for why we shouldn't study it. I, I, I'm open to that argument, but that's not helpful for what we're doing. No, we need to study. Okay, so then don't bring up God is infinite and the rules don't apply and blah, blah, blah. If God is not, is one in the sense of not many at all, not one like us. So then if he has wisdom or love or will, but we're going to go with wisdom because that's the subject here. If he has wisdom or knowledge, whatever you want to call it, then you have to say that's all he is. Exactly. That's what the Ramah says. You can't say that he is something that has wisdom because then that would make him made of how many parts? Three. Three. So you, and if you want to say that he doesn't lack the wisdom... Then, then you just have to say he is the wisdom. Right? In other words, either wisdom is part of God and then God is many. God doesn't have wisdom and then we've got some serious problems with why is God so great. Or we have to say that God is synonymous with his wisdom. They are the same. Right, but this is the problem is that we're always going to run into, we're always, the Ram actually says in the God Flex one, as you try and speak more philosophically accurate, your, your sentences start to sound more convoluted, which is why the Chumash just speaks in, in metaphor. Right? Instead of saying, instead of saying, um, just compensation for sins, which gives the sense of, 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 of anger, emanated forth from God in consequence for people's sins. We just said God got angry at the people who sinned. And, and like you, we let the philosophers figure out what that really means. Right? Or when we say that, like, we, instead of saying, like, and the people, and, 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 and God caused events to be the case such that people became more intimately aware of the truth of God's reality, we just say God came down. Right? And then we let the philosophers, and if you're not so sophisticated, you can just think of the metaphor, and that's fine. So we're always going to, as we try and say, be more and more accurate, it's going to sound more and more convoluted. So if we say God is wisdom, then we also say God is beauty, God is compassion. Doesn't that make him everything? 
Ah, so no, because here's the thing. This is only true about things that have inherent virtue to them, such as will, wisdom, beauty. But things that clearly are not are cruel. Ram actually goes to this. Cruel. Um, what would it be? Cruel. Um, mortal. So God is everything good. Right. Wait, say that again. Why? Instead of God is one, God is Oh, except the problem is you still can't say he does everything is good because that makes you think all those goodnesses together. That's not really accurate. Now, I don't want to get specifically into, into, into the Rambam's view of this um, the, too much. The Rambam has, 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 a, a, has, has a view that all the other goods are kind of subsumed into um, wisdom or into will. And so therefore you don't need to actually say God and his kindness are one. And, and more of it, that's not even really accurate because kindness is not an inherent good. It's only a circumstantial good. So it wouldn't make sense to, to say that God and his kindness are one. Kindness will only make sense in the context that he's created a world. But as a broad statement, you'd be correct. And so yeah, and when Kabbalah like borrows from the Ram says, they, and the altar actually says this later on in Tanya, um, in, in section two, chapter... I believe. He extends the idea more along the lines that you're saying. And just to quote, he says, now what, the, what Maimonides of Blessed Memory said, that he, that his essence and being and his knowledge are all completely one, a perfect unity, not composite at all, applies equally to the other attributes, such as gracious, merciful, beneficent, and the like. Yeah. So why the Raman per- doesn't use it because of other considerations, but yeah. But then you'd also have to realize the fact that we treat these things as different virtues would be a mistake, okay. right? In other words, it turns out, following your line of reasoning, which the Altar subscribes to, that the difference we have between wisdom, will, and beauty is an artificial distinction. They're really the same thing, because God is not made of different parts. You can't say he is his beauty and he is his wisdom, but wisdom and beauty are two different things. Okay, yes? No, because this is unique to God. That's what, that's, what, that's what Arthur said, right? This is unique to God. So what's the difference? Though? Oh, I that's what I want to explain. Oh, that's what I want to get to. That's what I want to get to. Okay. So in order to understand this, we need to understand how it works with us. Okay. And then we'll understand what's unique about God. Because right now it sounds a bit like a word game. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like he does. Like, okay, fine. Like you found, a, you found a verbal formulation that gets you out of the problem, but that doesn't really imply understanding. And you say, well, Rabbi Kaufman, the Ram says you can't fully understand it. And the key word there is fully. You, know, you can understand it, but not fully. So let's try and understand what's possible to understand. So in order to do that, we need to learn three terms. So more philosophy. We have two of them here, which is knowledge and knower. What is the third term going to be? Does anyone know? There's the knowledge, there's the knower. And the known. The known. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Okay. So. okay. Raise your hand if you've ever studied anything about how human cognition works. Sorry. Okay. So you're gonna have to have a lot of self-discipline and bracket all that out of your mind. Human what? Cognition. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So right now, 
I'm going to ignore human cognition. We're going to talk about very simple things. They have a tree. Do you like my tree? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we have a lot. Okay. Those are little branches. Oh. Fine. There's a little knot in the tree. Okay, now it doesn't look like an atomic bomb explosion. <laughs> Maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Fine. Which is a mini tree. Fine. Now, this is a lump of clay. together with the tree. Yeah, yeah. 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 put it on the tree. Oh no, then you just have a lump of clay. <laughs> <laughs> on the tree. Then they're together. Oh, what you, you can do, what you can do, what you can do, is you can bring them together. I should throw this further apart. You just bring them together as follows. And what you have now is a clay statue of the tree. Oh, yeah. Well, how will you bring, in what sense are you bringing them together? That is what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Wait, but the, uh, no. Shape. Wait. Okay. So it's you're saying. That's a clay tree? That's a clay tree. <laughs> <laughs> we have other color markers? Yeah. Wait, wait, it's like, it's like having a tree. <laughs> because, because the, the idea tree. and then the. No, no, no. Because the tree is the material. You are right. You are right. But, but part of yes. one is the That is correct. That is correct. Very good. So. But we're going to add some words to this to make sure we understand this, okay? The clay is providing... Everything. No. no the physical it's existence the of it. And the, no, and the tree is the dad. That's yeah. the mountain. Not the mountain. Not the, ma the material. material. How do you spell material? M-A-T-E-R-I-A-L. And we say that the tree is that, yeah? And it, well, the word for this is form. Like what you want. So the form of the statue is derived from the... Okay. The material of the statue is derived from the, but the statue itself is one thing. What if you have a I remember one is many. Now, I agree with you. We did have to let go of the material of the tree. The material of the tree we didn't take. We left that over there. And the original form of the clay was sacrificed, right? So we took a little bit of this and a little bit of that and brought them together to make a whole. Together implies, okay, I'm probably wrong here, I guess. But doesn't together imply like a physical? No. How? I why, can't why, be why are you biased? That, why are you biased that? Why are you biased that the physical aspect of something is the only part that matters? You're, you in fact, in life, that's generally not right the right case. Now. Yeah, I kind of. Really, that's your fault. I was like, I can't be. But then you're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now, so you know what understand what happens? There's the material. And there, there's the material, there's the clay, and there's the tree. If you can take the form of the tree and instantiate it in the material of the clay, right now the clay statue of the tree, the tree and the clay have come together. Now, does that mean literally every aspect of their being has been totally united and are unable to be differentiated at all? No, it doesn't mean that. But what used to be two clearly distinct things now have come together to form a whole. The form of the statue is derived from the tree. The material of the statue is the clay. Yeah. 
Okay, so I play this game with my friends sometimes, or I've played it before, where like you two people say a word, like just like a like, one, two, three, and they say a word, and it's like they're usually really separate. And then the next two people have to think of a word that combines the two, that unites the two, <laughs> um, and then it like keeps yeah. going. Very interesting. It's a really fun game. I thought you'd like That's a good <laughs> one. I, I, I will store it in my mind for 20 um, years. So, like, if I, was, if I were to play this game with someone who said clay and someone said tree, then the next thing I would say would be like soil. Like, because like, in my head, that's like right. something that connects oh, the two. You meant like right. clay. Okay. 
So there needs to be something that's different. About Hashem? I, I didn't say Hashem. You guys said Hashem. There needs to be something that's different. <laughs> well, well, that's 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 different from different. what? From what it can't. The, in other words, the material, the, the, the clay and the tree have the problem that they're two separate things. They need something to bring them together. Yeah. Now, you can say that it's the person that does that, except when we look at the person, the hands are different things than the eyes. It's the hands that are working with the clay and the eyes that are absorbing the form of the tree. So you need something that brings those together, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, this process has to like have an end, right? At some point, you have to have something the that's brain. able. Okay. No, wait, 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 That's where fine. do those neural circuits go to? So it's where the clay and the clay. That's fine. And if I had more time, I would explain to you why it's not a big deal. But we'll just. Okay. I'll explain right now. Very simply, this is not this is not capturing the form of the tree perfectly, right? And the hands are not manipulating the clay perfectly, and therefore everybody's going to get into to the degree to which it's a legitimate. Stat, clay stature of the tree is the degree to which they did a decent approximation. Okay. And because approximations will vary, and depending exactly what about the form of the tree that you want. Now, you could get a, things in the form of the tree that are much more um, transcendent aspects of the tree, in which case your stature of the tree might look less and less physically like a tree. Right? Like abstract art. So we're like assuming that the like degree of error is small enough that we can just assume that it's a certain or, 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 or if not, then we're going to say it's not a fake tree and they just treat you. Something's wrong. Okay. You're hallucinating. Okay. No, that's Fine. like when little kids give you a picture and they're like, this is a tree. And like some parents will be like, oh, it's a beautiful tree. And some parents are like, that, my son, is not a tree. But good okay. job. Okay. Fine. I wish I had a place where I could see. Okay. So let's label these things. Is it not my turn? No. Okay. <laughs> is it not what? Okay. Okay, so the clay, the material, let's, let's abstract this a little bit. The material is, t is, is playing a role of the, of the thing that becomes something. Right? After all, the clay becomes the statue, right? Right? That makes sense? You're turning the clay into the statue, yeah. the clay mm -hmm. becomes the statue, right? So this is the thing that becomes. Okay? What is happening to the form of the tree? It's not becoming. That's not really the right word. Well, it is changing because now the form of the tree is instantiated in the actual living tree, and now it's instantiated in clay. So what's happening? So wait, during this formation process, that tree disappears. No. So then nothing happens. The form of the tree, not the tree. The form of the tree. Initially, the form of the tree is located entirely in the tree, and now it's somehow being in the clay. So what's happening to it? Being copied. It's being copied, right? Yeah. Okay. So, the material, what happens to the pro this process is the material becomes something and the form gets instantiated. That's the word for that. The form of the tree is originally only instantiated in the living tree, and now it's instantiated to some degree in the clay. Okay? So, there's a process of material taking form that's a process of becoming, and there's a process of form being put into material that's called instantiating. Okay? Make sense? Okay. Now. Is that like with the form, then that is kind of, in a sense, creation? Because like if that form 
Previously, you said as one thing, and now it exists as multiple things. Creation in the sense of like God creating the world, or um, creation in the sense of like when like people create something. Like when people make stuff, that's how this works. When God created this planet, that's how this works. Okay. Now, and then what are we going to call this? So this is the material. The material does the becoming. The form, the form gets instantiated. And what's the thing that's causing the material to become the form and the form to instantiate the material? That's the person. The person, we have a name for that person. That's called the agent. That's the fancy name for that. Okay? So what does the agent do? Or like the middleman, same idea? The eight... It's more like from the, from the way we say like the person that you have agency, like you can make things happen. Okay. So the agent is the thing that causes the material to become something. It causes the form to instantiate. Okay. So now, let's just change this. What happens, okay, if instead of a rock... I thought it was clay. The clay, thank you. It was clay. Okay, what happens if instead of a rock, we talk about... Your mind. Okay. And instead of a tree, we talk about reality. And what goes in there? Thoughts are a part of the process. Perception. Perceptions. Us. But remember, here's the thing. There's a difference. Like your mind contains thoughts, right? But remember what happened to the clay? Did the clay just like was it like you just stuck inside? What happened to the clay? We formed the clay Interpretation. Into new. It became something new, right? Well, go. This is why I want you to I want you to, to, to don't think about your Think about what we happened with back with the clay. We took the clay and changed the clay so the clay did its best to approximate the form of the tree, right? Is that knowledge? Right? Do you hear what I'm saying, right? So if this is what you're doing with your mind, then your mind is being changed to become like reality. the way things are in reality. Now if your mind perfectly matches reality, then what do you have? On very high levels. Sanity. What? Sanity. No, you had it right. Knowledge. What is knowledge? What do you mean you really know something? You know, I need your understanding. I can understand. I can understand fascism. It doesn't mean that, 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 that I think reality conforms to fascism. I mean, there's a theory of how government should be fine. I don't understand why it works. I understand why people think, and then it's wrong. But I can know about fascism. That doesn't make me. A fascist? <laughs> so, the, the issue is like this. The issue is like this. Here's the problem is, there's thing, thing in your head called an idea. Forget ideas. Ideas aren't real. There's reality. Okay? If your mind has been shaped and changed, then it actually now perfectly instantiates, it perfectly embodies the way reality is, then however reality is, that's how your mind is. So let's say something. Is killing people wrong? Yeah. Yes. It's a general rule. 
Okay. So therefore, if in your mind the wrongness of killing people is a is is the shape that your mind takes, like your mind actually that's that's not something your mind happens to be aware of. That is how your that is that is like the shape of the clay. It's the shape of your mind. Your mind cannot escape that. Yeah. Then we would say you know murder is wrong. But if you just have the thought that murder is wrong bouncing around in your skull, you don't really know it. That's a different that's a different mental process altogether. In fact, let's think about this. What are some of the things that you would say that reality has really shaped your mind, that your mind really is now conforms to reality? Things that we could say you really have you really know. No. No. That you really know. There are things that you really know. Like how I'm feeling? No, does it have to be like an objective thing? Yeah, because it has to be that something that everyone regards. No, 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 no. 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 We're going to work off convention that we think we think about some things that have to be right, and these are always going to be things that the Torah also says are right. Whether you can prove this is entirely different. Yeah. By the way, one of the reasons why you guys are having such a hard time with this, I mentioned this before, yeah, is there came a point in Western civilization where people realized you can't really prove this, prove the fact that you know something to someone else. And so then we all became skeptical of each other. Mm-hmm. And then that really messed up our way of thinking. Okay, but we're going to ignore that problem. <laughs> okay, what's something that you know? Can it just be something that you see? Like, I know this is a chip. Is that what you mean? Okay, that would be pretty good, right? That would be pretty good. This is a chip, yeah? Yeah. Is there any way for your mind to escape that being a chip? You, once you see that, right? From then on, no matter what you do in relating to that, you are bound by the fact that it is a chair. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an question, how much of what a chair really is you know? And so you're like... What about like a rock outside that like, you could sit on, but like, you would say like, that's a chair? Exactly, that's my point. That's exactly my point. Is that when you, when you see this as a chair, and say it really is a chair, then you cannot help but relate to it as a chair, even if you're not sitting on it. And yet when you sit on a rock, you do not relate to it as a chair, even though you happen to be sitting on it. The act of sitting doesn't make it a chair. Now we can go back to the whole metaphysical rule and what makes the chair the chair, blah, 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 blah. Um, Let's do something that's more actually better. There's a better example, though. What about sunrise and sunsets? That you're alive is a really good one. But I want, I want to do something that's external to you so it's a little bit easier to appreciate. Okay, your alive is actually one the Rambam uses, um, but that's harder to understand the issue that I'm going to get to. The issue is called, the one we're going to use, the example we're going to use is very important. It's called causality. There's a feature of reality called causality. What does causality mean? One thing makes another thing happen. One thing depends on something else. Now, either reality works that way or it doesn't work that way, right? Wait, depends or causes something? Well, those are the same thing. The reason why I said depends is because the concept of causality is broad and just beyond that you have a billiard ball hitting another billiard ball. Isn't there another word for causality? Dependence? Yeah. Not everything causes everything else. I'd say everything causes everything else. But if, there, if, there's something, if, if there's something in reality that's a state of affairs, physical, moral, whatever it is, is it legitimate to ask why? Yes. And is, are, is, there, is, there, is there in principle an answer to why something is the way it is? That's what causality is. There's different concepts of why, there's different concepts of causality. Now, have you ever had been in a class and you ask the question, why is it that way? And the teacher says, well, that's just the way it is. What happens to your mind? What happens to your mind? It gets frustrated. It gets frustrated. No one gets frustrated? Because you want to know why. Who says there's a why? 
because part of reality is causality, and your mind has been formed by that so that it knows causality. It knows co reality works on causality. And so if you tell the mind there's no causality here, the mind doesn't, it, it, you've taken, you, you, the mind doesn't know what to do with that. The mind has been structured and shaped. It is, it, that the, this aspect of reality that, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, like rocks flying great windows, right? And axioms can be used to derive uh, theorems. and Whatever it is, all the different kinds of causality that, that are part of the world, whether they're physical, mental, moral, social, whatever they are, all those aspects of causality, the fact that reality works by things standing in cause relations to each other has formed your mind to the point that your mind cannot function outside of that. It is, like a, it is like a statue in the shape of causality. So anytime your mind wants to absorb something, it has to be given some kind of a causal structure. You want me to understand this? You have to link it back to how it depends on that. Which creates problems for us, but whatever. Right. But notice, notice what did you just say? Correlation doesn't equal causation. So you're saying there is causality. This is not evidence of it. Right. You are acknowledging that there is causality, and you are being careful not mm -hmm. to assume that this is the evidence of causality. Because also the propensity would be to say correlation, because you want to think like, oh. But 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 why do you have to right. say that? Because your mind is automatically trying to put everything in terms of. Causation. You can't escape causality. Doesn't ev everything does have a cause? We just don't know what yeah. that cause could be. That's that's yeah. true. Everything in reality does have a cause other than one thing. This is, this is fine. No one is objecting to your mind being formed with this notion of causality so that now you know there's causality and everything you interact with. You know there's some sort of cause way of understanding it. Right? Before you study any topic, what do you know? What do you know about, uh, about hydrothermodynamics? You don't even know what the word hydrothermodynamics means, but you know if it's part of reality, it has causality, causality in it. You know that. Everybody knows that. Which is fine until you get to the one thing in reality that is not causally dependent, which is? God. And now you're stuck, because your mind does not have, right? it's like trying to see with your toes. It doesn't work. <laughs> your toes can't it see. It doesn't work yet. <laughs> Wait, what doesn't have God? What, sorry, what do you mean? God does not have, God is not causing anything. So if your mind is shaped by causality, then there's no way for your mind to really process God. You can process your dependency on God, but you can't really talk about God. Yeah? I don't, I don't know how to formulate this as a question, but maybe you'll help. So with the thing with the chair, mm -hmm. let's say you walk into a room and you say, like, oh, wow, that is, um, that is a chair. And then someone says, like, actually, that's a folded up tent. And then they unfold it. Right. And, right, right. and, then, and then even when they refold it, you never again look at that as a chair, even though before, if anyone had tried to tell you otherwise, you would have been like, it's a chair. So like, what, is, what is the thing that changes? You're setting, me, you're setting up for the situation of this class very nicely. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Nora. But, but we're, we're only have five minutes left. Okay? There's more to this story. There's a lot more to this story, okay? which we'll do tomorrow. Okay. So, now, how can you get that clay to be a, remember that clay statue of a tree? What do you want to make it a clay statue of a house? What do you have to do? Well, so what if, what if you know there's causality and you know you want your mind 
to be able to be to be able to take off to, to, to be able to know God. What are you gonna have to do with your mind? That's right. And this is the difference between knowledge and just thoughts and concepts. You have to destroy if, if you have two concepts that contradict each other, not mutually, they don't work together. Do you have to destroy your understanding of one order to understand the other? No. No. But if you know one thing, and there's another aspect of reality which contradicts it, and you don't know something that makes them fit together, you're left with one of two choices. Either hold on to what you know and you'll never know the other thing, or destroy your mind, what you know, and then know the other thing. That's a good attempt. Can you know that there is causality in all other things and know that God doesn't have a cause? Like, do you, when you no. destroy that, um, um, can you then re... No. So this gets into nuance. What you can do is, this is what the Ramah would say anyway. But the Ramah would say, the human mind can know that everything has a cause and know that that means that there must be an uncaused causer without knowing what it means to be uncaused. You can know, you can know causality and you can know that causality means there has to be an uncaused cause. But you can, but and you can also know that you can't know what it means to be uncaused, which means you know that but you don't know what. Which is a fine distinction. But and so, so no, you can't simultaneously understand God being uncaused and understand causality. Meaning, like you can't. You can't because the limitations of the human mind that I don't want to get into right now. So, but, Let, there, let's, 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 take, let's take something else. Causality, the reason I pick causality is something that everybody knows. So I don't have a problem with this. Now let's take something else, yeah? Now let's take something else, okay? And I'm going to pick something intentionally controversial, which is nice for the last two minutes of class, but I'm going to do it anyway to illustrate a point, okay? Okay? Let's think something really good controversial. Okay. <laughs> no, I want something. I want something. I want something that 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 population divides like relatively evenly on, to illustrate my point. Yeah, abortion is synonymous with murder. How about that? Now, if your mind has been, if there's something in reality that has formed your mind into that, abortion is synonymous with murder. Are you now able to apprehend the aspects of reality that would contradict that? No. Or vice versa. If you've apprehended those aspects of reality which reform the mind into that abortion is not murder, are you then able to, and you really know that it's really structures how your mind works, are you then able to apprehend how it is murder? And this is a problem which gives us the sense that somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. Somebody's making a mistake because how could the same reality they aiming off two completely different contrary things. But you can hear the arguments. Let's say I believe that abortion is murder. I can I'm, I can understand the perspective. But this is exactly the verbs here are very important. Believe is not what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. and understand is not what I'm talking about. No. And what I mean here by no is that it shapes how your mind works. So if I know that abortion is murder, I cannot simultaneously know that abortion is not murder. Right. Right. That's yeah. that makes right. sense. And if I want to shift camps, I'm going to go through a traumatic experience of destro destroying my, my mind and it will affect things that I, because the mind is also integrated. And all sorts of other things that I, that I thought are independent end up getting shattered along the way and end up, there's this weird space where, where, where like all of reality is now up for question. Yeah, wait, but no. By the way, that happens to some extent when you go from being a child to being an adult. 
what you knew reality to be as a child, that aspect of reality, somehow you destroy that and you get a new app. We don't really know anything. We're gonna, we're gonna, so, so the, the, the simple answer is, is that maybe, right, maybe, just like the clay can only instantiate certain aspects of the form of the tree, it can instantiate its shape, but can instantiate its, um, its photosynthesis. Maybe your mind is not a good material to instantiate all of reality. And so if you instantiate one part, it comes at the expense of Which is why I can know something, and you can know something, and those three things that our minds can never be reconciled, the reality, both are true. And if I want to shift to really know what you know, I destroy what I know. Okay? And that's a very painful process. That would happen when people make changes about fundamental things about what's real. Not about their particular opinions about things. Yeah? Okay, but I can know that abortion is murder, let's say, and know that there are two genders. And someone else might know that abortion is murder and know that gender is on a spectrum. So why can't I know that God is uncaused and know that the rest of existence, separate from God, that that that, that has a technical that issue. That is, I, that, that is not for the reason I'm saying here. That's because of some other issue of your mind. In other words, in other words, in other words, <laughs> What I was describing is the state of affairs, that since most people's mind is so fully shaped by causality, the concept of God is frustrating. What you're asking is, is it possible to get past that frustration to a point? The answer is yes, but even that still has its limits for reasons that I'm not getting into right now. Okay. But nothing to do with what I was saying. It's just, it seemed like you were saying that's all on the same topic. You no, I was giving the example of why immediately your mind rebels when it hears it. Could you cope with that and get past that? You could, but you're still going to have limitations. So what we're going to talk about tomorrow is how does this happen? How does some a aspect of reality get instantiated in your mind? How does your mind get formed into some aspect of reality such that you have this state of affairs called knowing? Which is different than understanding, different than believing, different than thoughts. It's literally the shape of your mind. Okay? And because it's the shape of your mind, as long as your mind is in that shape, it governs everything else about you. The Rambam actually says, how can you tell what someone knows? Look at how they act. Mm -hmm. Not the act, con acts they make consciously, but the choices they make without even realizing they're making choices. Because that's, that, that's really working off of your sense of what reality truly is. Okay? How do you know if somebody, how, how can we tell if somebody really knows that, that every human being has dignity? But those really, are like morals and values. That's not like, I know that one plus one is I know, no, well, the easiest right. part of reality to know is math. The hardest part of reality to know is morality. And then everything else is on the spectrum. No. Uh, but this, like, how can you tell what someone knows? Look at how they act. That's easy. How can you tell if someone knows one plus one is two? That's also easy. Huh. You ask them? No. You see that in life, they never, they, they, in life where that is a relevant piece of information, they can, they never, they can never write a mistake. Can you give an example? So, yeah, it's also, by the way, it's a very easy test to do. Little kids, yeah? You, you, with, I mean, there's degrees of knowing this, but with little kids, you can play around with them and get them to like give you change and you give them change, and eventually you end up with more money than you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. 
There's actually an Abbott and Costello like, bit about this. Yeah, yeah. Right. But you can't do that in real life to anybody over the age of, like, say, seven, eight. I just, you can't do it. You know why? Because they understand there's bigger numbers and smaller numbers and addition and subtraction, on the, on, at least when you're dealing with one on some fundamental level, that they can't be fooled. Now, once you start getting to double digits and stuff like that, right, and so it, it, the, you get more complex math, right? And that's, and, and what you realize is that you can know one plus one equals two on some level of its reality, and there's other aspects of reality you don't know, right? It's, it's, it turns out that it has gradations to it. But that basic thing, you know, every seven-year-old, which is why you can't convince them that giving them 20 agarots is better than having one shekel. You can't convince a seven-year-old that. You can convince a three-year-old that easily. Thank <laughs> you.